My name's Phil. Um, if you're new, maybe you're visiting, it's really nice to meet you. Um, so as a church, we normally spend a chunk of time in one book of the Bible and work our way through and that kind of thing. We're, we're in limbo at the moment. Um, some of you will have been expecting a few weeks um, that we, we promised we'd do, but we're not doing. We're going to preach three sermons thinking about sexuality and identity and that kind of thing. Um, because of the attacks that happened a couple of weeks ago, we rescheduled our services, did some special things, kind of dealing and attending to that, which I think was the right thing for us to do as a church. Um, and we, 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 we're committed to thinking about sexuality, so we're going to do that later on. Um, so tonight we're going to be thinking about some words from Matthew 5, particularly thinking about our mission, our life as a church out in the world. Uh, next week we'll have something different, and then um, we're going to spend some time over the summer in the book of Philemon, which is a very short book, but we're going to do it very slowly, which is going to be fun. So a few verses at a time. Um, so that's what we're doing. So tonight we're in Matthew chapter 5 on page 969. Let's read that together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus speaking to some of his disciples. He's just called them. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it, lives, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to tell you about a moment very early on in my marriage, I mean really early on wedding day, where, um, where I had a, a very clear choice before me, which uh, the, the very survival of our marriage hung in the balance in this moment. Okay, um, Vicky has, uh, my wife is Vicky, has a, an extended family which can be a little bit eccentric at times. Okay, And getting to the wedding day, anything could happen. Now the service was fine, there was no heckling or anything. Um, the, uh, the photos, few silly faces, all right, few of these, okay, that's all right. Uh, and, and the speeches, few heckles from, from Vicky's side. But then it came to dancing, okay? And I knew what was coming up. Um, I knew that coming up was Mad Uncle Richard's conga line to Tony Christie's Is This the Way to Amarillo, okay? And this was a thing that everyone was going to have to join in with, especially me. Okay, so at this point, I was faced with, with a, well, a pressure to join in, and these were my options. I would go with it and just kind of blend into the family, or find an excuse and run away, <laughs> retreat. I've got to go somewhere. Do I blend in, go with the family, or do I just kind of run away and retreat? My future survival and kudos with Vicky's family really depended upon this, and trying to navigate a third way would be very difficult. I really had to choose, and if you'd like to know, I, um, I blended in. I went for it, even though I have the coordination of a dad, funnily enough, uh, when it comes to dancing. Anyway, I had the choice of blending in or retreating. I want to say tonight that the, this church stands faced with attention. When it comes to how we as Christians relate to the world around us who aren't Christians, we might be tempted either to blend in or retreat. Blend in or retreat. 
Because there's this tension that we face. We feel the pull to live like everyone else around us. Because that's just much easier to do. Because that's what everyone else is doing. Or we feel maybe people's pushback on when we want to live for Christ. And that makes it difficult for us. Either way, it's hard to live as a Christian in a world where most people aren't Christians. And so to relieve that tension that we face in our lives, we end up either going with the flow and blending in, or just pulling right back and just avoiding it, retreat. I wonder, do you feel any sense of that tension in your life as you relate to the world as a Christian? It's, it's hard to live differently. Do you find yourself wanting to relieve the tension by blending in or just retreating? And what's your reaction to um, all that happened to Tim Farron and the Lib Dem leaders? It's a really interesting story, isn't it? As a Christian, he was pressured over his Christian beliefs. Here's how one commentator summed up what happened to him. He said, Christians are being systematically excluded from the public political sphere by a kind of secular inquisition using shibboleth issues like same-sex marriage. Now, when you hear that kind of analysis, what do you think we should do as Christians in, in politics or in the public sphere or anything like that? Should we just keep our mouths shut, blend in, or even go with what people want? Blend in? Or should we just retreat? You know, there's, there's just no space for us in that kind of public life anymore. Just retreat. There's a tension, blend or retreat. Now, in these verses in um, Matthew 5, Jesus explicitly deals with the temptation we face either to blend in or retreat when it comes to relating to the world around us. So let's have a look at what Jesus says. Let me set the scene for you because um, we're jumping into the middle of a chapter, which we don't normally do. Now, it's early days in Jesus' ministry, um, but he's been making it really clear that he is God's long-promised Messiah King who's going to come and restore God's people and bring salvation to the world. And he's just called his first disciples. So he's, Jesus is kind of rebuilding the people of God. He's starting anew with these guys. He goes up a mountain he calls them together and then gives them a, a kind of nine-point summary of what it looks like to follow him in what are known as the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5. But then he tackles head-on this tension we're going to face of blending in or retreating. And Jesus uses um, these two images that go along with these two dangers. Salt, being the salt of the earth, and light, light of the world. So he says, okay, this is what you're supposed to be, salt, light. But both of these things can go wrong. You can blend in or you can retreat. So Jesus has a two-point sermon, so guess what? So do I. That, that's what we're going through here. Blend or retreat, salt and light. So let's work through, the, through these two points, these two pictures that Jesus has. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So first up, Jesus tells the newly formed church, this is what you are. You are the salt of the earth. I want to tell you who you are to the earth. Guys, I've gathered you up on this mountain, but I want you to have a view to everybody else out there in the earth. Who are you to them? Salt. So this is Jesus' first sermon to the newly formed church, and he does a whole food condiment thing with them. Go team ketchup. It's, it's a little bit strange, the salt thing. 
In the Old Testament, when God gave Israel offerings they were to make, there was one offering called the grain offering. And this is what God told them to do with that offering. He said, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Salt of the covenant. Interesting. Now, I'm a marinade kind of guy, but summer's good. We have barbecues, marinating, manly thing to do. Is God kind of into marinades? Why the salty thing, salt of the covenant? Let's look at another passage. This is from Numbers 18. God brings up the salty covenanty thing again. He says to his people, all the holy contributions, offerings that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you, a perpetual Jew. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. A covenant of salt forever. What does all this mean? Salt is a preservative. Okay, it preserves food. And, that, and it was used in ancient times particularly. Um, we use fridges, uh, backpack or whatever, to preserve food. And so the point is this. The covenant where God's people say to God, we're going to obey you, we're going to live for you, we're going to trust your promises. That covenant is to go on and on and on. It's to be preserved like salt preserves. The covenant of salt, the salt of the covenant. An ongoing, preserving obedience way of life. That's what God's people were supposed to have. Now the problem that God's people had was, God said to them, I'm going to be your God. I want you to live for me forever. God's people said, hooray, yeah, we're going to live for you forever. We'll always obey you. They looked at the nations around them and what did they do? They blended in. They blended in. They wanted to live like everybody else around them. They lost their saltiness. They were meant to have a covenant of salt, ongoing obedience. They lost it. Instead of preserving obedience to God, they just lived like the rest of the world. You ever left the fridge door open overnight? Don't do that right now. It's so warm. It's, and, then you, and then you get the milk out and you don't notice. And you pour it on your cereal and it's all blobby. And you, oh, it's, oh, it's such a sad way to start the day. <laughs> it, make, it makes me very sad. Israel, in a sense, Israel, Israel went off. They lost their saltiness, the preserving of living for God. They stopped being the one people in the earth who are going to keep on going living for God. They blended in. Okay, now do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? He looks at the new Israel, the new people of God. He looks his disciples in the eye and says, you are the salt of the earth. I'm making a a covenant of salt with you where, where you go on and on preserving obedience to me. And the whole sermon is about what's it look like to live God's way. But this is no kind of holy huddle thing. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, so there's a sense in which they're to be this, obeying people for the earth. Jesus wants the world around us to taste what it means to live for him. To have an impact on the world with our lives of obedience. The world should taste Christ's ongoing, preserved rule through the life of the church. You are the salt of the earth. Okay, but what's the problem we face? Same as Israel. 
losing our saltiness. Look at verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So instead of preserving being the one place on earth you find people living for God and loving him, the pressures can get so much that we just blend in with the earth, lose saltiness. Because when we live Christ's way, the earth doesn't go, hey, well done for living for Jesus, that's great, keep going. They say, you're not fit to lead a political party. We don't like your narrow claim that Jesus is king. We don't like you loving your enemies. We don't like that you're opposed to adultery, even adultery of their heart. Things like that. And we might be tempted just to blend in, be the same as everyone else. Now, I said that Jesus has laid out in kind of summary form what it looks like to be salty, to live God's way in the Beatitudes, which start in verse 3 of chapter 5, just on the other page. And this is a kind of manifesto for a different way of life. If you're wondering, okay, talking about being salty, obeying God, I get that. But what, what does it look like to live this kind of life? Get yourself into the Beatitudes. Think about what that looks like to live it out. But I want to warn you. If you live out these Beatitudes, this way of life, it's not going to sit well with people. Let's have a look at a couple of examples. Um, look down to verse 6 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is salty living. Now, if your passion in life is to become more righteous, hunger, thirsting after righteousness, people are going to notice that if that kind of consumes your life. You're serious about work ethics. You're serious about your sexual faithfulness, what you say to other people. But your hunger to be righteous will be matched by a hunger in your heart to blend in for it to be easy. Because being serious about righteousness, let's be honest, it's really hard. And sinning is really easy and attractive. What about um, being merciful? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. This is the kingdom way of life, salty living. So instead of holding grudges, getting payback, uh, sprinting past the weaker colleague, you're incessantly merciful. But while others around you do kind of playground politics, make it clear who's weak, strong, who's in and out, you're being merciful People are going to not like that. It'll be difficult for you to live that way all the time. Forgiving unforgivable relatives. And you'll be tempted to blend in. But if we blend in, Jesus says we're going to lose our saltiness. And verse 13, that's serious. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. There's... um, a church in New York, which is led by a guy called Tim Keller, which some of you will have heard of. He's a well-known um, author and church leader, really faithful church, really strong ministry. Thousands of people go, and it's great. But I read something where Tim Keller was reflecting on the life of his church, a really revered kind of church. And he said this. He said, in terms of the, the sex lives of the church, how people live out their sexuality, he said, we're no different to the city. We're no different to the rest of New York. You know, as a church, they weren't abandoning the Bible. They weren't preaching heresy. But he took a look at his church and said, you know what? I can see many people have lost their saltiness. They've blended in in this way. See, my concern for the Globe Church is not that we're going to start preaching false things from the pulpit, but rather that behind closed doors or away from Sunday, out in the world, 
We're just blending in. No different to the city. Brothers and sisters, Christ died on the cross to redeem us from living just like everybody else. God wasn't impressed with our moral potential, but he gave Jesus to forgive us for this way of life against him. And that forgiveness still stands today, and we've got to hear that. Do you look at your life and see yourself blending in? You think, yeah, I can see where I'm losing my saltiness. I'm just like the city. Christ died because you're like that. You're forgiven if you trust in him. That's a good place to be. But I also want us to hear this. Christ died to bring us into a new way of relating to the world. He died to bring us into a new way of relating to the world. And just like he did for these disciples, he looks us in the eye and says, I've got a new purpose for you. I want you to live this deep and beautiful and countercultural way of life of obedience to me. It's going to be tough. Everyone from the media to your closest friends are going to want you to blend in and go their way. But I'm going to help you live a different life. You're the salt of the earth. Live it. So Globe Church, if we're going to have any impact on this city, we have got to help each other. Preserve salt-like obedience to Christ. We really need each other. This week I was at my uh, vinyl club I run. I collect records. I run a little vinyl club down the road. And we got chatting uh, around the table in the pub about uh, the London Bridge attacks. And I was just saying some of the things um, we talked about as a church on that Sunday and been chatting to people on the street. And um, there's a guy who's there for the first time. He just started asking me questions about how I talk to people of other religions about my belief, that kind of thing. And I really wanted him to like me. I really wanted, this was his first time, I wanted him to come back. And I really felt the pressure just to say something really bland and nice. (laughs) But you know what helped? There was another Christian there. There was another Christian there. And so I knew that there was someone else around the table who wanted me to stay salty. And that really helped me. So I want to say, why don't we as a church work harder at spending time with our non-Christian friends and family together? It's hard being salty on your own. Can you get some of your focus, your glow focus group around to yours or out to drinks with some of your colleagues? Let's pray for each other. Um, it's, it's hard to take your church to work with you. I recognize that. Take your church to work day is not a thing for a reason. Okay. <laughs> but, but why not send each other a text? You know, stay salty, keep living for Christ today. That can really help. I think accountability is a good thing. I don't know if you've noticed that in a lot of train stations around London now, there's a a new slogan to get English people to get over themselves and say when they see something suspicious. Um, Even if we saw a ticking bomb, we'd be like, someone else will mention it. (laughs) Um, So they've got this thing, this slogan, which says, see it, say it, sort it. I don't know if you've seen that. See it, say it, sort it. I think we need to do that as a church. You know, if you see someone blending in, living in a way that's against Christ's way. Say something. Let's get together, help each other, sort it. Who are we to the world around us with the salt of the earth, the place where people encounter ongoing, preserved obedience to the Lord Jesus? Don't blend in. In verse 14, Jesus brings up his second point, and he he kind of switches images. We've had salt. Verse 14, we get light. Who are we as a church in relation to the world? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. 
A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Salt was a bit of a weird image for Jesus to use for us. Uh, Light we get. We have lights. I have lights shining on me right now. But let's go a bit deeper because once again, Jesus is using Old Testament language that is very rich and deep in meaning. And it's going to help us know what our purpose is. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 60, page 748. Isaiah 60, page 748. Isaiah 60, page 748. Again, I'll just give you a bit of context. Like we said, Israel in the Old Testament, they made a mess of being God's people in the world. They just blended in. But in Isaiah, we, we get this picture of hope where um, this, this person's going to come along, this servant Messiah, God's king, who's going to put it all right and, and redeem God's people and make them new. And that's what's going on in this. Isaiah 60, page 748. Look out for the light language. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Okay, we get verse one. The light has come. That's referring to the Messiah and and, and, and God coming in verse two. The Lord rises upon you. So God's going to come. Christ will come rescue and save his people. But verse three, do you see the switch? We get God's going to come in light. Verse three, but nations will come to your light. This is talking to Israel, God's people. So Israel become a light to the nations. They're going, they're going to be so transformed by God that they'll just be radiant. They will glow as they obey God in a dark world. And Jesus says to the church, you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light. He says in John's gospel, I'm the light who's come into the world. But he says to his disciples here, if you live for me, my way, you're going to be a light. But Jesus gets a little bit illustration happy and adds another little picture to this, the city on a hill, the town on a hill. Stay in Isaiah 60, though. Okay, so he says, uh, back in Matthew 5, he says, you're you're the the light of the world, a city on a hill which um, cannot be hidden. Isaiah 60, verse 10. Have a look at this. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open and they will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal procession sounds a lot like a city being rebuilt doesn't it your walls will be rebuilt your gates will be open that kind of thing which city is it talking about if i say to you there's a city by a river with two football teams two cathedrals you might know i'm talking about liverpool if i say to you the uk city of culture uh you'll know i'm talking about kingston upon hull Wonderful place. If I say to you the city by the Thames, you know I'm talking about London. If you said to an Israelite, the city on the hill, they know you're talking about Jerusalem. Their city, God's city, the city on a hill. And in Isaiah, God's people have been taken away. The city is in ruins. And God says, listen to this. God says in the same breath in chapter 60 of Isaiah, nations will come to your light 
and your city will be rebuilt. And Jesus says to the church back in Matthew 5 in the same breath, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. The world around is supposed to look at the church as an alternative city. Our alternative way of life together. And they're supposed to see it and see it's good. The globe church is a city within a city. A community in London that is visibly different in our hope and the way we live to the rest of the city. Whenever I go away from London and I drive back, the first thing I see when I'm approaching London is the glow, <laughs> right? The light pollution of London. It just lights up the skies, even if it's the middle of the night. The next thing I see is the Shard. And I live near the Shard, so we kind of go, hey, look, we're nearly home. And then it's like two hours later and we're still not home. But you see it from miles away. And people are supposed to look at the church like this alternative city on a hill and see it from miles away. And back in Matthew 5, verse 16, see our good deeds. And glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16, page 969. See our good deeds and glorify God. Okay, that's what we're supposed to be, light of the world. But there's a problem. Just like salt can lose its saltiness, light can lose, for want of a better word, its lightiness. Look at verse 14. You're the light of the world. A town built on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You ever, I, I really want to show of hands here, okay. Have you ever turned on a lamp, got a bowl, and stuck it over the light? Anyone done that today? No, exactly. Right? That's the point. Why would you do that? Why would you go, ah, it's dark in here, light on, bowl on? You just wouldn't do it. It's a stupid thing to do. What's the point of having a light that's hidden? None. What's the point of being God's redeemed people to live a radiant new way of life in a dark world if we're hidden? You can't hide a city on a hill. You can't hide the shard. You can't turn off the light pollution glow of London. And yet we try and hide the glow of the church. We retreat. Why would we do that? Let's think about it. Why do we retreat? Well, I think the same reasons as to why we blend in. Because it's really hard to be this exposed, distinct, countercultural people for all to see. When the early Christians said to the Roman Empire, you know what, Jesus is Lord God, not Caesar, they got killed for it. And all over the world, people are saying things like, Jesus is Lord, not Allah. Jesus is Lord, not popular public opinion of what morality is. And the pressure gets turned up and Jesus knows it. He's already told his disciples they're going to get persecuted. And he knows that when the pressure gets turned up, we might blend in or we might retreat and put a bowl on our light. Cover it up. I wonder if many of us might be finding that at work there's a written or maybe just an unwritten kind of rule. There are certain things you, you don't talk about, especially as Christians. Or maybe just... A growing atmosphere where you know if I say what I really think here, it's not going to go down well. I can't say it. Do you feel the pressure just to retreat? Keep your head down. You are the most important in the lives of your friends and families. 
you are the most important in that person in their lives because you are the light of the world with a way of life and a message of hope that though some are going to hate, some are going to be drawn to. Jesus says it's going to happen. Some will see your good deeds and glorify God. People around you need to know you're a Christian. They need to see the beauty of living Christ's way. Can I just ask, are you convinced that living Christ's way is beautiful? That's maybe the first step. Now, be clear, you're not going to be perfect. I, I, we, I think we get ourselves into trouble because sometimes we think, oh, I'm such a terrible witness because I'm not perfect. The witness isn't perfection. The witness is the change that God is bringing about you. Your witness is grace, that though you're weak and rubbish, God is really strong and amazing, and through Christ, he's transforming you and he's forgiven you. That's your witness, not perfection. And I really want to encourage you, some people will be watching you. They will be watching how you live. They'll see how you're different and be drawn to it. What does it mean to be a light? I know um, I, was, I was chatting to someone yesterday and saying in the focus group, having a bit of a chat, okay, how do we live differently at work? What, what does that even mean? I want to encourage you, don't limit being a light to only a few Christian activities. You know, being a light is not just inviting your friends to church, though that's a really good thing to do. That's part of it. It's everything about you. Jesus doesn't say, go do salty things, go do lighty things. He says, you are the light of the world. It, it's your whole existence, all that you do. And don't underestimate that the light that people will see when you're poor in spirit, when you're just meek, when you hunger after righteousness, when you're a merciful person, pure in heart, a peacemaker amongst your friends in your neighborhood. People will see your sexual fidelity, your promise keeping, your turning the other cheek. Now the challenge is to live that and one step more, live it visibly. Live it visibly. And so I do have a concern for us as a church community. I, I mean, I'm talking now as the Globe Church on the South Bank. My concern is that we're too hidden. My concern is that we're too hidden, especially, like I said, as, as the Globe Church in this community. I think we are living as this little city with doing good to each other, living this alternative way of life where we're caring for each other. I've seen so much fruit of that in our church. But does that glow just stay within these four walls? Jesus seems to think that that's going to be a real danger for the church. Now, I've been really encouraged to see the church's desire to be a light um, around us really grow. Things like the initiative to do the, the Weber Street thing we've been hearing about, just hearing that you're talking to your friends about Christ, um, inviting people to have you ever wondered nights, so all these different things. There's this desire amongst us to be a light for the world around us. But I want to say the temptation to retreat will be there. And here's the thing. I think it's going to grow with time. I think the temptation to retreat is going to grow. When a church starts... It's really exciting. You know, we have a clear vision. We're going to be a church for the world. We are a church for the South Bank. But as time goes on, two things happen. The first thing is that we get preoccupied with the demanding work of just keeping going as a church. The inward aspect of life, church life just dominates. The church is growing. We've got new people. We've got new needs, new people to care for. And so the demands on our attention as a church ends up, ends up with us withdrawing our light from the world. We, we become this city, but we pull down the blinds and we just deal with home affairs all the time. 
We're getting to year three as a church this September. And I wonder, is the excitement wearing off for some of us? The routine sets in, we're comfortable just poodling along as a church, forgetting there's a world out there that's perishing. I think that's the first reason we might begin to retreat as the Globe Church. Just the focus on the inward life of the church. But secondly, here's the other thing. As a church, we are going to face increasing pressure from the world and we might begin to retreat. You know, you're just getting to the point where you've invited people to stuff and they just don't want to come. So you just stop inviting. Or we try some stuff as a church to connect with the community and it just doesn't work. And instead of saying, okay, well, maybe let's try something else, we just get discouraged and just don't do anything. Just carry on with our Sundays. We can do that. It's easy. We've not seen anyone come to Christ this year as a church. What if, despite our efforts, we kind of continue in that way and we just don't see people come to Christ? I think we might be tempted to retreat, just kind of get on with our little Sunday happy time. The temptation will be to retreat because it's too hard. And Jesus says, he looks his new church in the eye, he looks us in the eye and says, don't retreat, don't give up. Maybe we're going to need to think of new things or work harder at being a visible community on the South Bank, but don't hide the light. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, talked about it this way. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call of Jesus. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Wow. We can't retreat. Jesus calls us to get out there and be a visible church. Now, for some of us here, you, you might not call yourself a Christian. And um, actually, you've been part of our church community for quite a while. You've been coming along. You've been, I don't know, taking a walk in this alternative city, seeing the way we live, what we believe, what it's like. And I just want to say, has the time come for you to stop being a tourist in the city and start living as a citizen of it? If you can see that Christ is the one who died for you, and, and because like the rest of us, you've tried living your own way, and that's just stupid and foolish and offense to God, and you can see that Jesus died to forgive you, why not trust in him now? If you can see that living this alternative way is good and attractive, why not ask God to help you live that way through Christ? Maybe time's come to stop looking in and start living this new way. I said earlier that you are the most important person in your friends and family's lives. I actually think we can make that sentence a little bit better. The church is the most important community in the South Bank's life. The church, and not just this one, but the church is the most important community in the South Bank's life. Because other groups are going to do wonderful things, and I'm not denying that, but... Only the church will display what it looks like to live with Christ as Lord and Saviour. Only the church has this message of salvation and eternal life in Christ. We're going to want to blend in. We're going to want to retreat. But we've been saved for a better way to have an impact on the world by being salty, ongoing, obedient living. By displaying the light of living as a new city with Jesus as Lord. That's our calling. Let's pray now for grace to live it. Let's pray. Father, we see this calling so clearly here. 
It's, it's a powerful calling. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Lord, we'd love to be the salt of the earth. We'd love to be the light of the world. We just want to confess our, our failings as a church. Those times as individuals or corporately where we've, we've just gone with the flow. We, we just live like the rest of London. We're sorry. Those times when we've just hidden our light. We've kept quiet. We kept it safe and easy. We're sorry. Thank you that Christ was different. That he let his light shine. That he was salty, always obeying you. And that he died to bring us forgiveness for our failure. But thank you so much that we have hope as a church to keep going in our steps in mission. And I pray that we would, that as a church we wouldn't stall, we wouldn't retreat, we wouldn't just focus on our inward needs, but please give us such a passion for your glory and such a broken heart for the lost and the reality of eternal hell that we would so love those around us that we would shine our light that we would have those difficult conversations, we would be a visible community, we would think more carefully as a leadership, more um, creatively as a church as to how to be a visible church, a city on a hill. Please, Lord, we pray for us and churches around us in, in this nation, in this city, to be visible lights. And we pray this not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we're doing mission well. Please, Lord, we pray this so that people would be saved so that people would see and be drawn in and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray that we would be effective in our witness. Lord, that we would, over this next year, see many people saved. Help us to be faithful, visible, salty city living for you. We ask for your Spirit's help in Jesus' name and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Amen.